There's serious questions surrounding the origins of COVID-19 and the so-called vaccines. Professor Edward J. Ted Steele is a molecular and cellular immunologist, geneticist and microbiologist and the author of six books and over 100 scientific research papers. Professor Steele's scientific background qualifies him to comment both on the performance of the vaccines for COVID-19 as well as the origin of COVID-19. Professor Steele, thank you for joining us once again. Thank you, Mike. Much appreciated for being here again. Ted, can you outline how our health authorities explain how COVID-19 outbreaks are triggered in Australia and New Zealand? As a general rule, and the general public knows this from all the news reports, as a general rule, they're all due to infected travellers primarily coming in from overseas, from infected zones with COVID, or within Australia from one infected state to another by road or by air. But the primary, the primary site when uh, travellers come in by jet aeroplanes and they've got COVID or, or they're, in, they're usually put in quarantine and if, they, and if they survive the quarantine and they're not positive, then that's where most of the infection is going to be contained, okay? So any escape into the community is said to have occurred by a quarantine hotel escape or breakdown, pretty common. It has various variants because in different, in different situations, um, there are things like um, the outbreak in New South Wales, which was due to, originally due to a limousine driver from the airport, and uh, that driver, you know, that was a really fuzzy one because the driver said he wasn't working on that on that day. But that's just an example of the things that are done on the run to blame people. Mm -hmm. There was another one, another case in Victoria where that was triggered by removalists bringing furniture from, news, from affected zones in New South Wales into Victoria. Uh, the problem with that explanation is they've dropped it. They no longer push that explanation. But when it was alive and active in uh, late July, the gentlemen that were, you know, transporting uh, things around, were, but the uh, furniture around, they were demonised and there was a witch hunt led by the Premier, the police. But then they were exonerated completely as doing no, no wrong, but it didn't matter. It was bedded in the public mind. That's the way it came in. But it's the, it's the, it's the quarantine escapes... Uh, uh, which I'd like to, which I'd like to focus on, in some detail. Mm. Uh, just, just quickly though, there, we hear from the Victorian government all sorts of reasons. Uh, you know, there's bogus explanations. You know, myths. Uh, yeah. Why are they so wrong? Yeah, well, in every case, in my mind, it's a myth. And when you go into it in great detail, you see the magnitude of the myth and what they've created. And it's lockstep between the government, the media. And, um, and where, where necessary, the backup from research institutes to back up the claim, particularly, and the chief health officer. The, the, this, they're wrong because when you go into the actual detail and break down, as I want to do with the fourth wave in uh, Victoria shortly, that particular case doesn't stand up at any level. Nothing's logical about any of the claims. And uh, when you analyse it in detail, clearly the, the reasons for the escape and the location of where the escape took place from were also invented. 
Now, the public, because things are moving at great speed, if this gets all gets over overlooked and the and 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 the public forget that they just were grossly misled. But but look, it's very serious because in the in the case of Victoria, these sort of things lead to hard lockdowns. Mm-hmm. This small case I'm talking, I'm going to describe in detail, small outbreak that led to a hard stage four uh, stage four lockdown within four days after they thought they had a big outbreak on their hands. What happened though in this small outbreak of mystery transmissions in yes. Victoria that occurred May 11 through to June 10, 2021? Yeah, that's a very important time period because that, that actually defines the period when it, when, it, when it happened. Prior to that happening, there were no cases in Victoria for a month or two. We, we really were flatlining and the government were cheering along and the chief health officer and the jab and PCR vaccine commander, they were all cheering the fact that we'd eliminated the last virion in Victoria. Now, all of these cases I'm going to talk about can only be explained rationally by uh, being delivered to Victoria from the human passage plume of viruses in the aerosols up into the atroposphere, into the atmosphere, over India in April. Uh, that's, That's clear in terms of all the temporal relationships and what happened particularly uh, the, uh, the, the type of variants that were made public on June 5th in The Australian, on a page in The Australian, it was clearly in a big table, all the variants of interest during this small outbreak that I'm going to describe. And the, the main players were Indian variant Kappa, Indian variant Delta, and everything is consistent with the fact in our analysis, as anyone who can coolly read our paper, that it's most likely came from the Indian plume. And how would that happen? That would have been through the prevailing wind systems down the longitude line down the east coast of Africa, into the Indian Ocean winds, and then into the Southern Ocean, taking also hitting also South Africa as it as it as it came down, and then being caught up in the roaring 40s um, west to east uh, uh, latitude line, bringing the bringing those. And through the Southern Ocean, bringing those viral plume clouds of virions through uh, to Victoria, New South Wales, New Zealand, and French Polynesia. Notice I've left out Western Australia, South Australia, Tasmania, and Queensland. Mm-hmm. Both years, last year and this year, they've missed out. They have not been struck. So it's ludicrous for them to think they're protecting their people. Look, they will, as I said in one of my previous interviews, they will behave just as badly as Daniel Andrews in my bet if they get a real infall of virus from the troposphere, as well as I explained in the previous interviews. But in any event, uh, so we know it was the Indian plume, and we know that um, that uh, that it sort of unfolded in a very, a very predictable way. There were five clear cases of mystery cases, all temporarily spaced in time and space over a, a thousand kilometre square rough arc from southwest Melbourne through north to up further further north of Melbourne. The five cases were occurred in succession between May 11th or clusters, May 11th through June June 10. But the way it started was with a, a one particular case which was graphically described in the media for at least a week or two before it started to appear to take off, and that was Woollett Man, W. O-L-L-E-R-T, that's the suburb of Woollett. That's about 30 kilometres uh, north of Melbourne. Uh, it's on the southern end of the Whittlesey Shire local government area. And Woollett man was a 30-year-old man 
who who came down suddenly with was was COVID positive, had a slight cold apparently, came down, was tested tested positive, but he didn't transmit it to anybody in his local house or area. Okay, it was just him. Okay, at that point, that was a real mystery. It was a mystery because it was in the community. It wasn't in any quarantine hotel or anything that they'd, you know, cordoned off. So it got a lot of coverage here, a huge amount of coverage. But what, what, what people forget is that prior to that happening, there, were, there was a lot of other noise going on on COVID, even though there were no cases in Victoria in the month before that happened, through April. In April... Uh, in that just in that arc of arc of infections that I've described, there was an arc of reports of wastewater detections of COVID. Okay, in the various local government areas, that is the you know the um, the sewerage reservoirs, the wastewater re re reservoirs, and that, they were repetitive. Now there was also a lot of rain through April, a lot of pre-winter cold rain in April, and in and into May, and it and it continued. Remember, there's a lot that, for those who live in Melbourne would remember a massive flooding event that occurred in that northwest part of part of Melbourne. Now, <clears throat> the point of me pointing all this out is that that sort of those sort of COVID nineteen signals or fragments of the virus are really important. In the absence of any cases, they're important because they they suggest that that that's a signature of the viral infall. So what I was waiting for after that was when's the first case going to appear, and it appeared on the May 11th, because to me, the first case would be a hapless person rubbing up against the environment, not knowing how they got it, and they got it from the, their contaminated environment. Well, certainly it, it happened on May 11th. There was one case, the Woollett Man. But over the next week, a massive fiction was invented. Woollett Man, they traced him back to the Adelaide Quarantine Hotel, which he left on May 4th, but he entered that hotel in the Playford Hotel in downtown Adelaide, uh, middle of April, he flew in from India and he was going home to his home in Wallet. He, he was there for three weeks in the quarantine hotel and he tested negative on, every, on each of those days. And on May 4th, he left his quarantine hotel. He got the, presumably the taxi or the bus to Adelaide Airport. Caught the caught the plane, so he was in the lounge and check in. Caught the caught the caught the plane to Melbourne Airport. Then he either got the, with, I suspect he, he got the Sky Bus because he was at he was at Southern Cross Station where the Sky Bus goes. And then he caught his from Southern Cross Station. He caught uh, the train to Wallet, 30 kilometres north of Melbourne. Now everyone at the time, as they were tracking this back in those in that week where they were trying to track what what happened. They estimated he, he made contacts with hundreds of people, not only in South Australia, but throughout Victoria, through all those different contacts. So there was massive uh, campaign to get people tested, and there were a lot of testing going on. All of, all of his people in his immediate circle were tested. Uh, other people, you know, massive campaign in Woollett for people to go and get tested. They all turned out to be negative, right? Everyone was negative. No one got COVID. So then the story then morphed that he got it, he had to have got Kappa from the Adelaide Hotel, the Playford Hotel, and then it morphed into the fact that there was Kappa, there was another traveller with Kappa there, and he had a, and Stephen Lund, one of the writers in The Australian, invented an amazing fiction story in The Australian saying that he must have got it in an 18-second uh, 
a distant contact in a corridor with that man. Well, let me just say this. Kappa didn't spread in South Australia, right, because that man also went out in the community. And so did, so did um, you know, Wallet Man in the South Australian community. Didn't spread in South Australia. Didn't spread in Victoria. So how then did Wallet Man come down with a PCR positive test on May 11th? Now, the simplest explanation from our perspective, analysing all the data globally and over time and temporarily, is that he picked it up when he got back home. On May 4th, in his home, he actually picked it up wherever it was in his in his area there. That's how he got it, from rubbing up against a contaminated environment. And he never then transferred it on. Then it all died down, right? So we're looking at May 11th, died down, and then 10 days passed. No, it was 14 days passed. And suddenly there's an outbreak in Whittlesey which is about 10 kilometres north of where he is in Wallet. And that one was quite significant. That was Kappa. And that actually grew to about 60 cases very quickly over about a week. But on the first day when that happened, Andrews locked the place down, hard stage four. So we were locked down at that point. I don't know if it was number three or four or five. I can't remember the, 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 the lockdown number, but we were locked down hard on the basis of that Whittlesey Shire. And they blamed it on Wallet Man, but then they could find no links between Wallet Man and what happened north of his suburb. No links at all. So you see, you can see how there's, a, you know, tenuous chain of logic in all these cases. Okay, then it then it died down. But as that as that case in Whittlesey was maturing, there was a sudden outbreak outbreak 30 kilometres south in West Melbourne, West North, in Altona at the R Care Aged Care facility in um, in in Maidstone. And what happened there was. A 55-year-old woman carer who was vaccinated was a came down, was a genuine mystery case, you know, because there was there was no other person that she had any contact with. It wasn't Kappa or Delta she had either. They told us that, and uh, and and she passed it on to a couple of residents, so and another co-worker, a, a, a co-worker, and the resident she passed it on was a 90-year-old man who had been doubly vaccinated. Now, the reason I'm talking about vaccination here is we never get this information usually, right? That was just spilled out. That was really revealing information. That, to me, says vaccination doesn't protect you. But, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that later. But the point is that was a mystery case and it was neither Kappa nor Delta. But they were still blaming it all. In The, 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 the siren song in the media was... They were still blaming it on Woollett Man. Mm. You see what I'm getting at? Now, what happened then? It, at about the same time, there was this case of two families that had travelled from North Melbourne, north of Altona, North Melbourne, to uh, Jarvis Bay in New South Wales and had a week's holiday there. Then they came back. And when they got back, they found that one or two of them were positive. And then the whole van, there were two families loaded into one van. I don't know how many people were in that van, probably 15 or 20. It was one of those big people movers. And they all came down with COVID. And then some of their close work associates came down with COVID. But that was Delta, wasn't Kappa. Hmm. Now, what happened then? On the evening news on uh, June 5th, on the same day as, you know, the variants of interest were published in The Australian, um, the director of the Doherty Institute was bowled up a question by uh, by someone uh, in the you know one of the reporters you know how did this group get delta and she says well it most likely came from 
a quarantine escape of a Sri Lankan uh, uh, passenger who came in with Delta at Melbourne Airport. Just boldly said it. She said, most likely, she did qualify. Mm. But that was it. Mm. Everyone accepted it, right? Mm. But you notice that it's Delta now, it's not Kappa, which was the cause of the <laughs> initial massive lo- lockdown. So we've got, we have two. And our care was neither, right? That, that aged care facility was neither Kappa nor Delta. You see? So we've got several variants coming in that fits with our perception of, of the Indian plume. There were quite a few different variants in the mm. Indian and some of them were the ones that are, on, that are on the list that they published. Now, what happened then? The, the, um, the, um, the, it was about a week's gap. And then on June 10th, there's a sudden outbreak in Reservoir, the suburb of Reservoir. That's somewhere between, that's intermediate between North Melbourne and the Whittleshire or Woolla. So it's about five to 10 and then another five to 10. So somewhere in the middle. And it just happened suddenly. Uh, there was a, a awful, you know, one family, an 80-year-old man, a 70-year-old woman, a 50-year-old other member in the house, probably a son, and a 20-year-old man, probably one of the, no, one of the relatives. I don't know. I, I'm just making this up. The trouble is it was neither Kappa nor Delta, and they had no idea where it came from. Mm. You see what I'm getting at? But you know what was left in the public's mind? That it was all a quarantine host telescope. It's bogus. Mm. It doesn't stack up at any level. So that's why. Now, that that was really important for me to have and our group to analyse it that way because that that then shed light on what happened in Victoria on a bigger scale the year before. Is it, you know, credibility, uh, Professor, seems to be that one word that doesn't really go hand in hand with the narrative at the moment. So is it credible that it all began with a simple escape of May 8 to May 10, 2020 from a single COVID-19 variant from the quarantine set up at Ridges Hotel in the Melbourne CBD? Can you actually put, incorporate the word credible to that? Well, I think it's incredible, but I can't prove it. Prove it. And I'll give you all my reasons why I can't prove it. And that's because I don't have all the information. But the information I do have is incredibly informative and revealing. So I'll just quickly summarise it. The, the, that outbreak in Victoria did definitely happen. And it, that variant we're talking about that they claimed took out the nursing homes or was one of the variants that took out the nursing homes in Victoria is true. We've, we've verified that we did track it back to that claimed source that was under government inquiry that's never been published in a newspaper that came out in the government inquiry that's where it came from and and that's because that's where they thought the escapes occurred anyway before the main explosion in victoria in june july last year they were talking about these escapes from ridges and other but the ridges so they were sort of locked into the explanation do you see what i'm getting at look i think I think there were just a series of Keystone Cop uh, and Marx Brothers mistakes made all the time. And we had a, a premier who was calling all the shots. You have to understand the medical pro- you know, profession let themselves be told what to do by the premier. That's clear. He was calling the shots at every level, at the political, the quarantine level and at the medical level. He was, he was the chief virologist in Victoria. So that's why it turned out to be an absolute unmitigated catastrophe because several things happened. I'll I'll, I'll finish this explanation shortly, but several things happened. As this thing unfolded from this supposed 
escape. There were many other variants that you could see that were put into the public domain, that is at, at GenBank, through, through May and into early June. There were many other variants. That was just one of them, you know, the one that was in their nursing homes. And to cut a long story short, we think that was just a capricious amplification. By that I mean capricious in, infection of that particular variant got into see the migrant towers in North Melbourne and then into the nursing homes in quick succession within the space of a week. And that was <clears throat> and that was replicated and amplified to trillions of particles in the groups that I've described before, the susceptible group, the, the immune defenceless elderly comorbid group. So that was just a capricious amplification. And once you start getting one clone dominating, of course, that just dominates just by sheer numbers. No other, no, no other, no other clone gets a, you know, a look in. Because the other thing that was happening in, in, in Victoria, and this is part of the incompetence, as well as not looking after the people in the nursing homes properly, that is treating them properly, the, many of the carers worked in multiple institutions throughout Melbourne. So we had rapid human vectors transmitting the virus across Melbourne, all in the space of a, a few weeks, such that every nursing home, with a few exceptions, just went up in a, like a bonfire of infections. It was just a sheer level of, you know, the, the, the level of incompetence here during that. So that's why the government inquiry was called. But having constructed the, you know, the fiction that had escaped from the ridges, ridges they had to stick to it. So all of, the, all of the data that were put into the public domain, that is all the genomic sequence data we analysed, that is over 12,000 genomes. You know, we, we, we really do know what happened in Victoria, by the way. We analysed all those, all those genomes, but there was a big gap between everything that Daniel Andrews and Brett Sutton were saying to the media each night and what was on the Victorian Department of Health website on the mystery cases. There was a big gap between what was uploaded as genomic sequences and what actually appeared in the, in the, in the public databases so we could analyse them, because those mystery cases would have been incredibly interesting from the scientific and biomedical and epidemiological point of view to understand exactly what happened. But you know what? Those mystery cases totaled 3,500 to 4,000, and we can't get them. They're stored on the computers at the Doherty Institute, and they're just not being released, despite many requests by me, both privately and, and in big email broadcasts in the end, just to try and bring some pressure to bear to get them out so that we can understand what happened. But the reason we know they're genuine sequences is because every night uh, the Premier the uh, chief health officer, that commander again, and also also the, the chief epidemiologist that was associated with the Doherty, Charles Alperin from the, the Victorian Department of Health, they all said that the reason why these are mystery cases is they're genomically unlinked to any of the outbreaks in any of the, the nursing homes. So that means they must have the, the genomic sequence to make that statement. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So what appeared on the Victorian government website listing this large number of mystery cases were real. They were real mystery cases of the type that I defined before. There was no contact tracing, could not find a patient X, and that were ge ge genomically unlinked. Now, these are really important because their rise and fall occurred at the same time as the major ones that were occurring in the nursing homes, but they were at a lower level and they didn't have the flare-ups and spikes. And that, and that fits with the fact that they weren't in immune defenseless elderly camoras. They were just appearing everywhere in the, you know, across Melbourne in that southwest, west, north arc, the same arc as we're seeing again this year. 
So um, with all that knowledge now and understanding, it would be really valuable to have all those mystery cases released. It could make, it could make us understand better the so-called escape, because I believe that that particular variant, which we called, just for the technical buffs, L241F.1VIC, that particular clone, or its very close relatives, went through the nursing homes virtually unmutated through June and, and to the end of July. Unmutated. That means in the host-parasite interaction where the, where the host, that is the patient, is trying to get rid of the virus, there's no introduction of mutations. And that would occur primarily in immune defenseless elderly comorbids. So all of the data fits that particular model. But it would be nice to have all the mystery cases because, you see, we're going to get struck again. Sometime in the future, maybe not in, in my lifetime, by an, another pandemic. And we need to understand exactly what happens in these pandemics with colds and flus. And that information is being withheld. Why? That's why I've got a little bit exasperated with the way the scientific, the more established scientific community is handling this. They're not behaving like scientists. Mm. Look, can I just ask you, it's going to butt in here. Excuse me for being so rude. Uh, I need you to put on your uh, Sherlock Holmes hat, combine it with one of the great scientists of all time. Why do you think they're withholding information? I'm a, I'm a bit gobsmacked at that. I mean, it doesn't well, make any sense. I mean, it, they, they work for Victorians. That's right. Why are they doing it? I think there's several reasons. One, they can't explain them by person-to-person -person spread, right? The mm. conventional epidemiology model. They're just unexplainable. They're the mystery cases I talked about before. You know, just like in the previous interviews where I talked about all the millions of mystery cases throughout China. They're the mystery case. They can't explain them. They're clearly coming from the air. They're coming from airborne pathogenic attack. That's how they explain. They don't want to go down that explanation pathway. So that's one reason. Mm. The other reason is they'd already invented this massive narrative. Mm. I've told you, you know, the scape. And then, you know, so they sort of had to stick to it too. They, they were confined by their own, if to use the word, stupidity. Mm. But yeah. I can't provide much more than that. And, then, and now, of course, their credibility is on the line, so they clam up completely. And, you know, a guy like me wants the, wants, wants the truth. That's all I want. I don't want any, anything else. I just yeah. want the truth. But they can't afford to release that truth. For whatever reason, they can't afford to release it. Hmm. Professor, based on your work on the origins, global spread and attempts to control and treat the virus, what are your recommendations? Yes. Thank you. Those experts around the world, and I know our group, and I know there are, must all be thinking the same. Those who have got a better idea of the more truthful narrative, the truthful way things have happened, are trying to think of what's got to be done. From our perspective, since we know, you know, the origin, the most likely origin is that it came from the cosmos, the meteorite strike, and then since then it's been moved around the world in prevailing wind systems and uh, and the, the huge plumes in India and UK and other and South Africa and Brazil, they've produced their own variants and then they've got into the wind system and then they then contribute to downstream in infections in other parts of the world. You know, that's, that's, that's a general model. I can't give all the exact details because we don't have the information. But given, given that, that there are going to be any future pandemic is going to come, that's suddenly emergent on scale of the, of, the, of the type we've seen, then we've got to have a global pathogenic attack surveillance system in place. So that's my first recommendation. We just can't ignore the fact 
that the diseases are, these suddenly emergent diseases are in fact coming from space. However incredible that might be to people, we've got to actually accept that reality. That means that Hoyle and Wickramasanghi's book, Diseases from Space, must be a number one primer, primer in first year biologists, medical students and epidemiologists. They must read about it. But it must be ingrained in their knowledge base that this is the way these big sudden epidemics occur. They don't occur by a sudden jump from an animal or a, you know, that's just crazy stuff. I've, built, I've dealt with that before. So that's, the, so that's the first thing. We've got to have a surveillance system intact. But most of the time too, as I've discussed before, most of, the th most of these things that affect us, just think back to all the flu epidemics and so forth in the last hundred years. The most of the things that really affect us are the colds and flus, aren't they? The respiratory tract infections, because that's, that's our most susceptible locus. You know, when we can't breathe properly, we're all suffering, you know. And, and if, you're, if you're in a nursing home in yesteryear, the years past, and you've got a cold or flu, you're always vulnerable to the ultimate you know, pneumonia and bronchitis and death. So elderly people have to be looked after. Now, given now with the potential surveillance, and once we realise this, and with the you know a sudden emergent uh, pandemic, within if we're going to develop vaccines, it's treatments we need for all the respiratory crises. They're the ones we need. We don't need the vaccines. But if we're going to develop vaccines, then you can't develop newfangled things on the run and test their safety on the run during a pandemic, which they've done here. We now know that these are totally unsafe vaccines. They would never have been approved as a medicine or procedure by any uh, responsible FDA or TGA anywhere in the world. But they have here. And you know, as I said before, in one of the, the, the epidemic of court cases and complications down the years uh, could be large. I, I just don't know what that number is. But the, the point is, if we do have to make vaccines, we've got to, and for the colds and flus, because that's where most of them will be, we've got to have the oronasal activation of mucosal secretory IgA immunity. Right? That's a really important form of immunity to protect the mucosal surfaces of the, the mouth, the nose, respiratory tract, the gastrointestinal tract. They're the sorts of vaccines we need. And one way would be, once we know what it is that we found out there, we, we have a alive attenuated that is slightly crippled version of the of the the virus let's say and we spray it into our nose and mouth or spray it into our nose you know i understand this sort of things done routinely in large cattle herds because who, who accepted this concept you know it's just a practical way of life when you have large herds of animals domestic animals but anyway so that's what we should aim for the um the other things the other things i i think are and i sort of flagged it before with uh, epidemiology 101 being uh, necessary to have diseases from space on the reading list and all the other stuff. Just for example, all of our papers that we've, we've published in the past two years where we've tracked and monitored this pandemic all deal with that. The epidemiology of a rapidly emerging, suddenly emergent disease all over the globe. And while we don't understand everything, I believe my colleagues and I have got the major points right. Okay, I can be challenged on that. I'm open. I'm open. Open for debate on it, but no one, no one wants to debate me. Mm. So, so that's where we are. So, and and uh, I think the I think the medical profession needs to be educated. I think the TGA and the FDA need to be overhauled. I don't know how we're going to do that, but their their corruption now, the TGA and the FDA, the corruption is so uh, 
ingrained in all the sinews of their entire operation. We have to sever them from a big pharma or any other government. They have to be truly independent. Safety testing agencies, truly independent. I can't offer any, any more practical suggestions mm. than that. Mm. Look, if somebody wants, I mean, we could talk for ages on this. I mean, this, the uh, nefarious activities of the Andrews government, the, the grab for power, which is on steroids, the, uh, the reduction of our freedoms, that they now become permissions. Uh, there's, there's, there's many, many hours of conversation. We haven't got that time. If somebody wants to find out more on what you do or read your papers, uh, Professor, how would they do that? Well, at, at the uh, Asia-Pacific website, you do have the link to my academia.edu site. Mm-hmm. And it's an earlier, an earlier lecture video we prepared a couple of, couple of months ago. But th- that site has all, has all the papers that are currently published or in, or in press, that is. And if, if they're in press, they could be in the draft section. But the point is, they're all there. Uh, we're, we're, we're a total open, open book uh, in terms of what, you know, what we've analysed. And uh, there's obviously, we don't know everything. We can't, but I think we've got many of the key steps right along the way. Yeah. Just one more thing, because I always, I always do this, but it's, uh, I always think, oh, one more question. Um, just uh, out of a rating of 10, we'll call it the steelometer, okay? We're going to rate science and your reason for that rating. What would you give science these days out of 10 and the reason? Well, I think, uh, very sadly, biomedical science in relation to COVID has lost all credibility. That is formal mainstream biomedical science. Mm. Lost all credibility. Zero. 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 Professor Steele? Uh, Edward Steele. Ted, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. I much appreciate that you've had me on again. Thank you.